0: I'm so happy to be with our presence family. I love your pastors deeply. You guys are um, under some incredible, humble, powerful leaders. I I honestly, I, I don't know a couple in this region who lead with love and grace as well as Jesse and Jessica. And so I just honor you both. Um, I honor what you have walked through. I honor your perseverance. Thank you for not quitting. Um, It's probably the hardest job on the planet. Everybody always says, how's your church going? And I go, it's great, except for the people. (laughs) And then I go, and then it would really suck without the people. Like it's just one of those things like there's, as a pastor, um, it seems like the arrows like to fly your way more so than anybody else. And um, I've seen some arrows fly at these too. And the beauty of this call, when the arrows have been shot at them, is that they've learned to duck like David, and um, I just really honor that in you, too, and admire that in you, too, and um, I just love you deeply. I I really do. Um, Thank you for letting me get a little mushy and emotional. I'll try to get it all out of the way right now. Um, I always want to thank my tribe for being here. My, um, I, I, I love the people that we get to do life with. So um, they bring me the greatest joy and uh, there's no people on the planet that I'd rather run with than this group of people. And so thank you. And then I have some of my girl gang here. What up girls, my girl gang. So I love my girl gang. Um, Anyways, I wanted to talk to you today. When, I, when Jesse texted me and asked me like to come and, and speak, I immediately just went to the Lord and I said, Lord, what do you want to talk about? Instantly I heard from the Lord. I, it, I didn't have to wait on this. I didn't have to spend time in his presence. Nothing. It was just instantly, Aaron, I want you to talk to them about identity. And I felt like the Lord has been wooing his bride back to himself and he's been trying to, over the last three years, hello, 2020, has been trying to, to make a shift in the body of Christ to come back to the place where Jesus will actually get his full reward. And so identity, I believe, is the number one, the single most important thing that we have to get right. Right? We have to. It's identity. We have to get this identi- identity thing right, and we have to get our beliefs right. If we can't get these two things right, Jesus is going to tarry. Because he's coming back for a spotless bride. He's coming back for a bride who knows who she is. And so... Um, I wanted to just talk tonight about a few things, if that's okay. Can we pray first? Jesus come, and Jesus help. Amen. Okay. Um, Has anybody in here ever been a victim of identity theft? Has anybody been a victim of identity theft? Raise your hand really high. Yeah, I'm sorry. uh, Like... If you get ptsd from this message we'll pray for you afterwards identity theft is really a terrible terrible thing to have to walk through um one day you'll get a phone call and find out that you like your bank accounts have been hacked All your identifying things, your social security, all of that has been hacked. People have been spending your money in your name and um, leaving a whole heap of trouble for you. It's really caused a lot of problems. It's actually um, the fastest growing crime in the world, identity theft is. It's the fastest-growing crime in the world. The definition of identity theft is a crime in which an imposter uses the name, social security number, and other identifying information of a victim to open accounts, use existing credit accounts, otherwise acquire benefits using the victim's identity. Identity thieves sometimes change the address and phone number on a victim's accounts, ruining their credit before the theft has been discovered. Identity theft um, causes people, and you guys who have had this, you know, it, it sometimes takes months or years to recover that which has been stolen. Sometimes it actually costs the person, sadly, thousands of dollars to fix the problem that somebody else did for you. In the meantime, um, victims can also lose job opportunities, be refused loans for education, housing or cars, or even get arrested for crimes they didn't commit. Humiliation, anger, and frustration are among the feelings victims experience as they navigate the process of rescuing their identities. And now I want to talk to you about this from a spiritual perspective. Spiritually speaking, An imposter who we know to be the devil uses or confuses the name or other identifying information of a victim. The feelings that um, come with this are seen and felt among many Christians in the body of Christ. There's a lot of people who are always trying to measure up to something they're they're trying to meet someone else's expectations and that's what actually drives them i know from my conversations with people that a lot of christians really don't know who they are we really don't know who we are as a body of christ we have an idea Because we could wing off a scripture here or there. But then if you listen much longer to the people talk, you realize they don't know who they are. See, I'm a wordsmith. I love words, and I'm a student of my words. And I listen to what other people say, and I can tell if they know who they are or not just by our conversation. Most of us are really still trying to figure out who we are, what part we play, and where we fit in the body of Christ. It's crazy because in America, adults, specifically men, but also some women, experience a a period of emotional turmoil in midlife when they begin to question their meaning and purpose. The event actually has become so common that psychologists actually had to come up with a term for it. It didn't exist in the past, but now we have a term called midlife crisis. Because we get to a certain point in our life and we don't know where we're going and why we're here. And so what we do is we go out and we buy a Corvette or a convert BMW, and all of a sudden, you you see this all the time, now all of a sudden you think you're cool, and you're like, no, you're still white, you're still old, you're still fat. (laughs) See, these things aren't going to change us. It comes from the inside, knowing who we are. See, uh, Jesus said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. And the sad thing is, is I don't see very many Christians walking in the abundance that Jesus died for. How many of you have an abundance in your bank account? You just have so much abundance. This is what Jesus is talking about. Not not solely finances. He's talking about abundance in every single area of our life. And a lot of us are still chasing after it. It's. Here's the thing the Bible implies that our lives are supposed to look a certain way. The Bible implies that our lives are supposed to look different than the world. And sadly, the church has become an echo of the world instead of being the cultural architects, instead of being a voice in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord. We've just become an echo chamber. See, we as believers are supposed to act, talk and respond differently than the world. We're supposed to have a higher set of standards than the world supposed to not be worrying or fussing or having anxiety like unbelievers about the bad news that's being broadcast broadcast across the airwaves see um we shouldn't be going oh my gosh have you heard the latest Trump might run again oh god please yes or maybe please no Biden has COVID like we we th- we shouldn't even be paying attention to these things and letting them rule us as believers listen we our emotions should not go up and down with the stock market oh my gosh did you see the market today it's down i lost no Mm -mm. the economy of the kingdom is still going faith to faith glory to glory the economy of the kingdom see see this is where our minds need to be not here we need to be kingdom people see we should be like Isaac who prospered in a time of famine isn't that right See, Psalm 112, 6 through 8 says this. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of bad news. His heart will be steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid. See, this is what the Bible says of the believer. This is what we're supposed to look like. Notice I said we should, but most of us, if we're really, really honest, we're not. So what's the problem? Galatians 2.20 says this it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Isn't that what Galatians 2.20 says? So that verse implies something. It's no longer Aaron who lives. I died. You died. Aren't you so glad you came tonight? (laughs) Yeah. See, this is a foundational revelation to walking in the greater things. This is a foundational revelation to walking in the fullness of everything God has for us. Here's the revelation. You're dead. It's really that simple. One of the things I love that Jesse says, and he used to sing it all the time, it's a simple gospel. Remember that? And it's so true. The gospel is so simple, and religion has made it so complex. But the gospel is simple. Listen, when you became born again, you were crucified, co-crucified with Christ. You died with him. But that also means that you were co-resurrected with Christ. Not only were you crucified with him, you also were resurrected with him. But I hear people say this in the church all the time. Oh, you know, we just die daily. I just have to die daily to myself. I just, this flesh has to die. I just, you know, brother, I'm just, we just got to die. Stop dying. You're already dead. You're already dead. See, here's the thing. People say, I can't seem to get my breakthrough. I, I, I can't seem to get free from this one area of my life. I, I, I keep struggling with this same thing. And, and the, the common denominator in that is the letter I. I. I, I'm struggling. I can't get my breakthrough. I can't get free from this. See, the I in you is dead. When you became co-resurrected with Christ, you became a we. See, you need to understand this. You became a we. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You became one with him. When you can get that revelation that he's in you and you're in him, and it's not actually you, but it's 100% of him through 100% of you. That's how it works in the kingdom. See, you realize that the power to break sin is to recognize that you are dead. That's how you do it. Have you ever seen a dead man sin? Asking for a friend. Have you ever seen a guy get out of the coffin, pick up his phone, and start scrolling through porn? Have you ever seen a dead guy or a dead woman get up and start struggling with drinking, sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend? See, you don't see dead man sinning. See, if you got to get this revelation because you're dead. Hello. You're dead. See, but the church is walking around talking to the old dead man. See, see the 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 greater sin Is not what you're struggling with. The greatest sin is that you're talking to your old dead man. And the Bible strictly forbids communicating with the dead. Isn't that right? The Bible tells us, do not communicate with the dead. But you talking to your old dead man all the time and you don't recognize that as the greater sin see you died and when you rose again you became the righteousness of god in christ jesus you became a son you became a daughter and that is the greater reality of who you are Uh, people um People always go around using their titles as their identity and it and it kind of makes me chuckle. Hi, my name's Aaron. Hi, my name's so and so. I am this. I'm a pastor. I'm a dentist. I'm an accountant. I'm a lawyer. I'm a prophet in the churches. I'm a prophet. <laughs> I'm an apostle. I'm on the executive team. Awesome. But that's your title, it's not your position. Your position is you are a son, you are a daughter. See, we've got to get this right in the body of Christ. Back at the beginning in Genesis, Jesus, or the Lord is telling us. That there's Adam and Eve. They're in the they're in the garden, and um, then this snake comes along, and and God says this. He says, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the air, and blah 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 all that stuff." So God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created them. Next scene, the serpent comes in, and he says, "It says the serpent." Of old called the devil, that's what it says in Revelation 12 9. So it we are we already know the serpent is the devil. And he says, The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And he goes and he says to Eve, Did God really say, Did God really say that you will not eat of the every tree in the garden? And the woman said, well, we can eat all the trees except for that one. And then the serpent said to the woman, he said, well, um, and the woman said, because we'll die. And he said, you won't die. You're not going to die if you, if you eat from that tree. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. First of all, the devil has no authority right here to pretend that he knows what God is thinking he's a liar all he's doing is throwing out something to see if you're going to bite on it and she did see god had already established that there was no one on the planet more like god than adam and eve he made him in their likeness in his image they were the express image of god they were already like god And so the devil's trying to get them to question what God said to them. And he said, did God really say this? And this is what he does us all the time. He's using misplaced authority. He's acting as if he knows the thoughts and the intents of God. He's getting into her mind and he's messing with her about her identity. Robert Ellis Smith is a respected privacy author and advocate, and he says, Identity theft is an absolute epidemic. It's nationwide. It affects everybody, and there's little you can do to prevent it. I think worst of all, you can't detect it until it's probably too late. So we have Eve, who then takes the apple. She takes a bite, and it's too late for her to realize her identity was just stolen. You see, God had a plan for Adam and Eve. It was to be fruitful. It was to multiply. It was to subdue and fill the earth and have authority over all creation. That was their destiny. That was their purpose. See, when you don't know who you are, you won't know what your purpose is. And if you don't know who you are and you don't know what your purpose is, you cannot walk in the fullness of God. It's impossible. But here's the good news. The devil actually cannot stop you. You are the only one that has the ability to abort your destiny. It's you. When you come into agreement with what he said, and you start to doubt what God has said, you, right in that moment, you forfeit your destiny. But it doesn't have to stay that way. See, God has to resort to plan B. So now we fast forward 2,000 years, and Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan River. And it says, Jesus came from Galilee to John to be baptized. And he says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on it. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. Daddy God just establishes Jesus' identity. He says, this is the son. He's my son. And then he gives him the father's blessing and he says, I am well pleased with him. So we see two things happening at the baptism. We see identity being established, and we see his destiny and his purpose and the father's blessing happening. See, this is the father's responsibility in the family. This is why families are under attack. Because if we could remove the fathers from the home, we remove the man who gives identity to their children. We remove the man who gives the blessing to his children. See, the battle has always been for the seed. That's what God said when he met with Eve in the garden. He said, I will put enmity between you and your seed. The seed is us. That word enmity means growing hatred. He put growing hatred between the devil and us. Can you imagine? This hatred has been growing for thousands of years. And it's being unleashed on the body of Christ like never before. What was once hidden is now in plain sight. Can we agree on that? Matthew 4, 1 through 6, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now the tempter, the devil, comes to him and he says something very interesting. He says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones. And then Jesus answered, then the devil takes him up again. He says, if you are the Son of God, multiple times he is saying, if you are the son of God, what's he doing? He's questioning Jesus' identity. The, his identity was just established. When he came out of the water, everybody in the region heard God say, this is my son. And so the first thing the devil does, he says, if you are the son, what's he doing? He's trying to get Jesus to come out of agreement with the father and to come into agreement with doubt. That's what he does all the time. And if you think that the devil will leave you alone, you're sadly mistaken. He did it to Eve. He did it to Jesus. And he's continuing to do it to you and I today. He's always going after our identity. You've got to know who you are. You have to know what his plan is for you. And this is vitally important as, a, as, as the church I think this is why we have lost our authority. This is why we've lost our influence in the world. It's because we don't know who we are. We don't know that we're sons. We don't know that we're daughters. Psalm 139 says this, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet formed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that you should walk in them. See, the works of your life were prepared before your parents even got married. Before you were ever conceived, the plan and purpose for your life was already written in a book. You may have been an accident to the person who carried you, but you were never an accident to God. Ever. He had a marvelous plan written for you before you were even born. 2 Timothy 1.9, He who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus, when... Before time began. These are the greatest arguments for abortion, by the way. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was even born, he had no choice. When he popped out, he was a prophet. That's just the way it was. it's pretty clear based on the truth of scriptures that you have a calling and you have a purpose. See, we're spiritual people. We're part of a kingdom. The problem is we act like Americans. It's a problem. See, we don't identify as Americans. We identify as sons and daughters of another kingdom. Do you want to know how to, pro- how to solve social justice problems? Do you want to know how to solve the racial problem? We don't identify as black. We don't identify as white. We identify as sons and daughters. See, we've got an identity problem. We've got an identity crisis in America. And when you start identifying by the color of your skin, you've already lost the battle. You are a daughter. You are a son, period. That's how it works. Listen, I don't identify as a pronoun. I don't have to identify as a letter. I don't have to identify as an L, a G, a B, a T, or a Q or an XYZ. Why? Because I identify as a son or a daughter. See, this is why people are confused, because God is not the author of confusion. God is a God of clarity. Clarity is kindness, and we know that God is nothing but kind. So if you are confused about your identity, thinking that you are a letter I'm telling you, you are not. You are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter. That's who you are. That is the, because the reality of heaven is greater than this reality. And the problem is you guys are all stuck in this heaven and you need to bypass first heaven, second heaven, and get your butts up to the third heaven and you need to stay there. See, Jesus is not confused about identity. Your reborn spirit is the real you. And most of you are too focused on the outer man, and you need to be focused on the inner man. The inner man. See, 1 Peter 3 4 refers it as to the hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. See, your spirit, what you carry is the very DNA of God on the inside of you. You carry the very DNA of daddy God. Your inner man is exactly like Jesus. You were made in his express image. Just think about that for a moment. Romans 8 9 tells us this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, see, he's telling you in his word, you're not of the flesh. Quit acting like that. You actually are of the spirit. Th- this is so powerful. When when I was um when I was A young mom Uh, my husband had a Christmas party at his company and I went to his his company party and and um, we were talking uh, to a group of people and they were like well Aaron you know what do you do and I was like oh I'm I'm a stay-at-home mom and they were all "Ugh," and they like kind of kind of like turned their backs on me and I was like "What? what was that all about it was really, you know, with these, you know, people who are changing the world, building one house at a time, whatever, and I'm a mom staying at home with my kids, and suddenly I was less than, right? Like, it's almost like, mm, what are we going to talk about with this person who stays home with little people? And so um, it I really, really bothered me. And so um, one day when I was at the doctor's, I ha- have four boys, and so I um, was at the doctor's quite a lot. And when I was at the doctor's office, I was uh, filling out a form. And there comes this, there's this little box on the form that says occupation. And so just coming fresh off the heels of mom being not a cool occupation, I um, decided to uh, fudge a little. And so I wrote in the box, research associate in the field of child development and human relations. (laughs) Filled in the whole box down the margin turned it in, there you go, <laughs> and so, you know, their reader, and they're like, oh, oh, well, your, your job sounds fascinating, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really rather impressive, and here's the reality, I wasn't entirely lying, because I did have four subjects I was currently studying, Um, And they did relate to one another on a human level, so there was that. And I I really was watching their development. But here's the thing. Why was my title so important? Why was my title, why was that little box my ish? Because my self-worth was tied to that title. And so many people, their self-worth is tied to what they do. It's tied to their title. See, if, if your pride is in your title, your job, and you lose your job, what happens then? I, I had a friend who... Um, she loved being a mom to her two boys. She was like, I love being their mom, I'm their mom, I'm their mom, my boys are perfect, blah, 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 I'm like, you're a liar. And I'm just, I'm a mom. It's just like her whole identity was wrapped up in being this mom. Well, guess what? Those two boys grew up and they moved out of mama's house and then they married girls. Ugh. And then um, those girls took them away from their mom. I hate that part. And then this mom is sitting at home, alone, and now she does not know what to do with her life because now suddenly she has no purpose because she's no longer the mom. She doesn't have anything to mom. And she just sat at home, sat at home, and now she's got all kinds of health problems. She's just sitting at home, not fulfilling her destiny or her purpose because she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know that she's first a daughter. I had another friend whose parents continually told her as a child, you're the most beautiful girl in the world. You're the most beautiful girl in the world. Parents, take note. You better make sure you're not just speaking to the outward things of your children. Because this girl, when she grew up and she went to school, she realized quickly that she was not the most beautiful girl in the world. And she went into a crisis. And so she began to augment and change her body and get all kinds of surgeries and stuff because she had to continue to live in this fantasy that she was the most beautiful girl in the world because that was her identity. See, see the um, surgical cosmetic industry is making money off of people who don't know who they are. Don't get me wrong, I'm getting a facelift. I've already worked it out with Jesus. He's going to meet me without spot or wrinkle. It's in the Bible. But but I know who I am first. That's what makes me feel better about it. And I just know I'm your daughter, God, as I go under the knife. But whatever, it's, you know. Listen, these things are so important because I still know this woman today and she is still chasing after the title of being the most beautiful girl in the world instead of being his most precious daughter. We cannot let our titles define us. We cannot let what we do define us. I'm even going to take it in another direction, and we um, I'm going to talk about people identify I'm diabetic. I'm a diabetic. Well, no, actually, you have diabetes. You're a daughter or a son. So you have to separate the condition from the identity, and most people are not doing this. Autism... They are a son or a daughter first. The condition is autism. We have to be careful how we're speaking about people and making sure we're not identifying them with the conditions, but we're identifying them with the word of God and what Papa says about them. He says you're a son. He says you're a daughter. I am a daughter of a king. That's my favorite part. My daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns all the hills. Like, this is my identity. My identity is a daughter. The perfect righteousness of Jesus makes us right with God. Not your behavior. The perfect righteousness of Jesus makes us right with the Father. Stop letting your behavior tell you what your status is before God. And let the true status of being a son or a daughter shape your behavior. See, we have behavior problems because we have identity problems. And we're trying to change the behavior. But if you change your identity, if you change your belief, the behavior follows. See, if your kids are having behavior problems, start telling them who they are in Christ. The behavior problem will fix itself. See, we've got to get this right. Identity is also a presence issue. In God's presence, it says there's fullness of joy. There's identity in his presence. And as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. His presence motivates us towards love. His presence motivates us to change the world. And as we experience him, now we're filled with peace and we're joy. And now, we're, now we want to take risks when we spend time in his presence. See, I, I think sometimes we have identity problems because we have presence problems. And we need to spend time in his presence. I love the story of Peter. And and Jesus is talking with the disciples and he says, "Who who, who are they saying that I am? Oh, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're this. Some say you're Elijah. And he says, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, And you, Peter, are a rock, and I'm going to build my church on you. See, what happened in that moment? Peter saw God rightly, and then God saw Peter rightly. See, sometimes the reason why we have identity issues is because we don't see God rightly, because the person who has had the biggest identity theft happen to him is God himself. See, people like to portray God as mean. They like to portray him as critical. They like to portray him as judgmental. They like to portray him as the game at Chuck E. Cheese, whack-a-mole, that every time you stick your head out, he's going to whack you with it. That's how we think of God. But he's the kindest man that I know. He's the most faithful, loving man that I know. Here's the thing with Peter and Jesus. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. Who has your gaze? Does the world have your gaze? Does CNN have your gaze? Does Fox News have your gaze? Or does he have your gaze? Does he have your undivided attention? Does he have your undivided devotion? Who has your gaze? Who are you beholding? I want to show you some people in the the Bible who were victims of identity theft. Okay, I'm going to talk super fast from here on out, so stay with me. The Israelites were God's chosen people. They were saved from the oppressive Pharaoh. They were brought through the wilderness, which was supposed to be a four-day journey, by the way. But because they forgot who they were... They forgot that they were God's chosen people. Somehow, when they parted through the Red Sea, somebody reached out through the wave and snatched their identity. And when they got to the other side, they became sniveling wimps. Why have you brought us here, mother? You brought us here to die. We want to go back. They just plundered the Egyptians. They just saw this amazing victory. How did they forget who they were so quickly? Samson, Samson was a Nazarite. He had this incredible strength. And along comes Delilah, that woman, that woman. And Samson forgets who he is and gives up his strength. We see Saul, he's an anointed king by God. And he gets too big for his britches, and he forgets who he is, and he loses his anointing. We have Gideon, who God appears to him, and he's hiding. And God's like, you mighty man of valor, to the guy who's hiding, like a sissy. See, Gideon didn't know who he was. We have King David, King David, who was a warrior king. He was, a, he was a man after God's own heart. And guess what? He forgot that he was a warring king, and so he sat out of battle. And what happens? He fell into temptation and sins, and he gets a woman pregnant who's not his wife, and then he has to kill her husband. Why? Because he had an identity problem because he forgot that he was a warring king, and he should have been out on that battlefield. See, it was an identity issue. I want to show you another historical figure who had an identity crisis and had his identity stolen. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. Father? when Disney prophesies <laughs> listen don't get mad at Disney for the movies that they put out and boycott and do all the, do you, you if, if if God can make rocks cry out if he can make an ass talk the old King James don't get mad at me <laughs> if he could do that he could make a movie talk and he's talking to us through that movie I love that line because the monkey says to him he says do you know who you are And so he has to take him on this journey and show him in a mirror who he is. And I love that line. He says, you've forgotten who I am. And when we forget who we are, we forget who he is. See, that's the thing. If we don't see God rightly, we're not going to see ourselves rightly. Simba forgot that he was a son of a king. And most of you are living this hakuna matata life. Just like he was because you have forgotten that you are sons and daughters of the king and you are not taking your place in the circle of life. See, we are supposed to be glory carriers. The glory is supposed to be spreading across the earth faster than the bad news over the internet. But how are we doing at that? See, because we don't know, we don't know who we're carrying on the inside of us. We don't know that we're beloved sons and daughters carrying the glory of God on the inside of us, spreading it wherever we go. I hear people say this all the time. Oh, I'm going to quit my job because that place is really dark. It's such a dark environment. And I go, oh, you're a victim of identity. Identity theft because the moment you walk into that place, that place isn't dark anymore because you're carrying the light of the world. Listen, you probably, you probably grew up in Sunday school singing the most theologically incorrect song ever written, this little light of mine. Whoever wrote this little light of mine did not have a revelation of the fullness of God in them because he's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. That means when you walk into a place, the lights go on. See, but most of you are acting like thermostats. You're just going up and down. But see, you're supposed to be the thermometer. You're the one who sets the temperature of the places that you walk into. It's you. But if you don't know who you are, you're going to get beat up. Man, I walk into a place large and in charge, not because of Aaron, but because Christ in me, the hope of glory. I fear no man. Luke 4 13 through 14. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. See, it didn't say that Jesus was off the hook. The devil's going to keep coming after us, keep coming after us, keep going after identity. He's going to come back, and we have to be ready. All of us believers have a season that we think we've been in the wilderness. Those are the seasons when the devil will challenge our identity. But as we stand on the word, it says, having done all to stand, I stand therefore. Some of us, having done all to stand, I'm laying down because I'm tired. No, the position of the believer is having done all to stand, I stand on the word of God. I will not be moved. That is our position as sons and daughters. Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. See, heaven and hell are in agreement on one thing. They're asking the same question. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Hell is asking you that question, and heaven is asking that question. And you're the only one that could answer that question. I love the story of the woman... Um, with the issue of the flow of blood not because she has that that sounds terrible but I love that this the outcome of this story this woman she has the issue of a flow of blood in that culture if you were bleeding you could not be around people this woman had this issue for 18 years She has this condition where every time she goes out in public, she has to yell, unclean, 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 so that people move out of the way. Oh, somebody dirty is coming through. Somebody who's not clean is coming through. It got so bad that she had to move out of the town and she had to live on the outskirts of town in a homelessness camp because she was unclean. This was her identity. And then she hears through the rumor mill about this man, Jesus, who's coming through the town. And she begins to say to herself, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. If only I could touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. See, it is important what you say. And then this woman takes the greatest risk because legally If she was caught out in public, and if she touches anyone in public, she could be put to death. This is how serious this is with this woman. And she says, you know what? I would rather risk death than be unclean any longer, and I'm going to go out in this crowd, and it says the crowd was jostling Jesus, and then he said he, feel, he felt power come out of him, and he stops in the crowd, and he says, who touched me, and his disciples were like, Jesus, bro, you crazy, did you see the crowd, everybody's touching you, what are you talking about, let's keep going, we're late, and Jesus goes, no, 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 somebody touched me, I felt the power move out of me, and he turns around, and there is this woman, and I can't even imagine. Imagine what was going through her mind in that moment. She must have been completely terrified. Because she touched the teacher's garment, she could have been put to death. And the whole crowd knows this woman. And they all stop. And they take a collective breath. And Jesus says to her, the very first word out of Jesus' mouth, he says, daughter, daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. you see what happened in that moment? The thing that needed to be healed before her body was healed, her identity needed to be healed. And Jesus, when he said, daughter, right in that moment, her identity was healed. She was no longer unclean. She was no longer an outcast. She was no longer homeless. She was now a daughter of God. And then her physical healing came. Listen, I propose to you, I bet that we would have a lot more physical healings if we had an identity healing first. If we could get our identities healed as sons and daughters, I bet half of the physical things that we deal with would completely be healed. The most important thing Jesus healed first was her identity. And then her physical condition Followed. That is one of the most beautiful things in this story. Is that he identified her as a daughter. See, when Jesus looks at you, when he looks over the balcony of heaven, he goes, that's my son. That's my daughter. I love them. I'm really pleased with them. Heidi Baker who is one of my heroes in the faith, you know, she lives in Mozambique and she goes into the bush in Africa. And in Africa, when a woman gets pregnant, this is in a particular tribe, um, when this woman gets pregnant, what she does is she goes down to the reeds in the river and she stays in those reeds until she gets a song for that baby that she's carrying. And then that woman sings that song She sings that song over the child that she's carrying for nine months. And as she sings that song, the whole tribe knows the song of that child. And they join in on the song with her because they've listened to that song for nine months. They know it. And then when she gives birth to that child, and that child grows up, and that child becomes a rascal, and that child begins to do things that don't um, really line up with who he really is, they bring that child after he's been naughty, and they sit him in the middle of the village, in the middle of the tribe, and the whole village gathers around that child, and they throw stones at him. No, I'm just kidding. It's not what they do. That's what the church does. But listen, we're talking about a tribe in Africa and what they do is they set this boy in the middle of the village and the whole tribe gathers around that boy and they begin to sing his song over him. They begin to sing the song of destiny. They begin to sing that song of purpose. They begin to remind that boy who he really is. What would the church look like if we brought our fallen brother or sister up to the middle and we gathered around them and we began to sing songs of destiny and purpose over them, what would happen if we brought the pastor of Hillsong into the middle of our midst and we gather around him and we begin to sing songs of destiny and purpose over him and remind him who he is? What would happen if we brought people who we don't like, who do we don't philosophically, politically, spiritually agree with? What if we as a church bring them in our midst and begin to sing songs of destiny and purpose over them? See, this is what we're supposed to look like. But instead, we like to critique and criticize and belittle. Do you know what the person who talks about other people negatively is is doing? They're telling on themselves that they don't know who they are. As a church, we need to shut our mouths. We need to get on our knees. We need to get in his presence. And we need to get our identities solidified as sons and daughters so that we can release destiny over the people who are sitting next to us. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador is sent from his nation to go and represent that nation that he was sent from to the nation that he was in. That means he brings everything familiar the language, the backing, the authority, everything. We're ambassadors for Christ. How are we doing at bringing the kingdom to the earth? This is our job, this is our purpose, this is our destiny. One of the things that I hear people say all the time is I don't know where I fit. Ever heard anybody say that? I just, I just don't know where I fit. Listen, I'm going to answer that question for you. You fit in him. You fit in Christ. That's where you fit. You fit in him. You fit. Some of you have been feeling like, like misfits. I just don't fit anywhere. Yes, you fit in him. That's the most important thing. Listen, we need to be tenacious and we need to contend for everything God has for us. And we've gone lazy and weak. But we need to, we need to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap as a church. The Lord, ha- he shut down the church in 2020. He said enough is enough. It was the greatest gift that was ever given to the body of Christ was 2020. Why? Because it made us all go into the secret place. It made us all go into the secret place. It made us all go to our knees. It exposed where we were weak. It exposed that we hadn't trained people how to be sons and daughters. It exposed that we didn't train people how to feed themselves. Do you know what a, sheep's, a shepherd's responsibility is? It's to lead them to the green pasture, it's not to feed them in the green pasture. He leads you to the green pasture, and you're supposed to feed yourself. But we just sitting there, feed me, Jesse, feed me. <laughs> to which he should respond, feed yourself. Listen, I'm the laziest pastor on the planet. I ain't gonna feed you. I'm gonna lead you to the green pasture and I'm gonna show you how to eat, and you better eat yourself. That's how it works. But see, we didn't do that. Why? Because we had big egos at the pulpit. We had pastors who didn't know their, their identity. And so their identity was tied to the number of the butts in the seat. I know if I'm a successful pastor if my church is full. No, you're a successful pastor if you're on your face before the Lord. And you just come in here and you pour your life out as a drink offering regardless if there is one person in here, zero people in here, everything that we do is for an audience of one. It's never for the accolades of man. Because if I live off of the the wonderful, like, oh, Pastor, you're so good, then I'm going to die by the lack of it. See, there's only one voice that matters to me, and that's the Father's voice. And every time I go to him, he says, I love you, baby girl. Keep going. You're doing an amazing job. This is what he does. Can we have the, the is the worship team going to come up? Oh, did they bounce? Hmm. Sweet. I'm going to start talking slower. Just kidding. Oh, the kids need to be picked up. If you have kids, pick them up. Yeah, do that. Okay. I'm just going to. I'm gonna. Um, I want to read this poem, and then I'm going to have a stand, because I think this poem is so profound. There, in this poem, it's called "The Old Violin," and it says, "Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his waste or his while to waste his time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people? He cried. Who starts bidding for me?" One dollar, do I hear two? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three? But no, from the back of the room, a gray-bearded man came forward and he picked up the bow and then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, what now am I bid for this old violin? As he held it aloft with its bow. One thousand, two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going, going gone. The audience cheered and some cried. We just don't understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. See, one touch of the master's hand and the identity of the violin was revealed. See, value is determined by how much someone is willing to pay for it. Jesus purchased you with his life. That's how valuable you were to him. He purchased you with his blood. See, if you feel like you have no value, just remember the price Jesus paid for you. And I'm gonna ask the question again. And I asked this at the beginning. How many of you have been a victim of identity theft? Raise your hand. Can we stand tonight? I just wanna pray over you and I actually want to begin to speak some things over you that actually the Bible says about you, and I want you just to receive it as if it's coming straight from the Lord himself. So in the name of Jesus, I cancel any word spoken over you that did not line up with the word. All negative thoughts, all negative words, we take them captive now, and we put them under our feet I release you from your past, I release you from other people's expectations, and we come into agreement with what God says about you, and this is what he says. He says, you are the redeemed, you've been bought with a price, you are valuable to God. You have been made clean. You are a new creation. You are in Christ Jesus. You are complete in him. You are free from the control of man. You are free from sin. You are free from the law of sin and death. You are free from the curse of the law. You are called according to his purposes. You are called to peace. You are called to liberty. You are healed from every infirmity. You are immune to every sickness and every disease. You are a friend of God. You are a servant of God. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are a temple of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, you are blessed. You are part of a chosen generation. You are a member of the royal priesthood. You are a citizen of the holy nation. You are his own special people. You are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. You are a child of the Most High God you are the light of the world you are the salt of the earth you are blessed in the city and you're blessed in the country you're blessed in Newport and you're blessed in Fullerton you're blessed in all you put your hand to you're blessed when you come in you're blessed when you go out you are invincible before your enemies you are the head and not the tail you are above only and not beneath you are a lender and not a borrower you are a lender and not a borrower you are a lender and not a borrower. You are strong in the Lord. You are the one who has overcome the wicked one. You are rich in Him. You are gifted with powerful gifts from the Holy Spirit. You are one who speaks with new tongues. You are one who lays hands on the sick and they recover. You are a lover. You are joyful. You have peace. You have patience. You are kind. You are good. You are full of faith. You are gentle. You have self control. You have the mind of Christ. You are led by the Spirit of God. You are chosen. You are His disciple. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are the watchman on the wall. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have been freely given all things through Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are always led in triumph. You are victorious through Jesus. You are more than a conqueror. You are able to pull down strongholds. You are able to cast down anything that exists itself against non- okay. so the knowledge of God you were able to bring into captivity every thought you are know no, pr- bold you are the bride of Christ you are a minister of the gospel of Christ you are not your own you are not of this world you are not under the law you are not a slave you are not inferior you are not alone you are not ashamed of the gospel and you are not ashamed of who you are you are no longer an I you are a we you are no longer and I, you are we, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if I hear that you say, well, I'm, the, I'm like Paul, I'm the chief sinner of them all, I'm going to spank you. You are not a sinner, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.